Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we're discussing Pastor Bob's Thanksgiving sermon titled, A COVID Thanksgiving. We'll talk about complaining to God and what to do if you don't feel thankful. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into Habakkuk chapter 3. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Bob, you and I have kids, and I don't think either one of us enjoys it when they complain to us. Do they? Do you? (laughs) No, no, no. no, Complaining's not good. Not good. So, but let me ask you this. It seems like a lot of the Psalms, especially in other parts of the Bible, uh, people are complaining to God. So what I want to ask you, is it okay to complain to God? I I really don't like that question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd start off with one you liked. (laughs) You know, I mean, here's the thing, right? Because if we all know, if if you're a God believer, uh, then, you know, when you step back from any situation, most situations at least, and, and you view it just right, you can see the silliness of of complaining to God, right? Mm-hmm. God is sovereign. He is the highest good. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God's working at his own, his own time scale, and he's often working in hidden and mysterious ways. So why complain? It, it seems mm. very short-sighted. Um, so, you know, maybe someone who can access uh, perfect theology every moment of their lives won't complain. <laughs> but it seems like, like you said, God gives us, uh, in his word, many complaints to him from his people. Um, and he u- usually doesn't seem to rebuke them, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, the Psalms are filled with complaints. That's our prayer book. Um, so we are limited, finite creatures with a very narrow view. We are stuck in the moment. And we're going to have complainy feelings. Mm-hmm. And God gives us words to use to express those feelings to him, and he graciously responds to them. So in that sense, I think it is okay to complain to God. But is there a difference between complaining and whining or grumbling? Because it certainly seems like God did rebuke uh, the, the ancient Israelites for grumbling in the wilderness. Sure, and and I think, you know— um, all these terms can s- sort of overlap semantically, but we could also maybe distinguish them. We could create create like a, a taxonomy of complaint here, okay? Right. I, like I mean, that. so <laughs> we we could say like uh, complaints are you know believers bringing bad situations to God, wondering why things aren't working as He said they would. So as you know in the Psalms or Habakkuk, why do the wicked prosper? Right. They're not supposed to prosper, God, when you're God. Um, right, so that's them coming to the king, telling the king that something in his realm isn't working right, and they are waiting expectantly for the king to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Beneath a complaint can be faith that God is good and just, and he hears the complaint and will respond, right? So you could say that that's, that's a complaint. Um, the psalmist sometimes says, you know, hear my complaint. Um, there's less faith, perhaps, we could say, in whining or grumbling, right? We could say that whining is very self-focused, it's consumed with our own troubles, it's playing the victim. Um, God is less present, and he's not very good. 
Grumbling can also be self-focused. Uh, this mm. time it's God's fault, right? Like, right. Um, like Israel wandering in the wilderness. Uh, he's not good. Um, mm. He's out to get us, right? And, and, and that's what grumbling can be sometimes. But, but listen, I mean, it can be argued that Moses did a lot of both, of whining and grumbling, <laughs> right? That's right. Elijah, yeah. Elijah certainly did some, right? right? There's no one left, God, but me. Mm-hmm. Um, even Jesus grumbled to no one in particular about his faithless disciples and faithless <laughs> generation. Right. So what's really important is that we say something rather than nothing, right? Talk, mm. talk to God. Something we see in Scripture is that we should put a governor on our tongue when we're talking with others. We should not put a governor on our tongue when we are talking to God, and most of us do the opposite. We'll say crazy things to people, but we'll be very careful what we say to God. And that's totally irrational, because God hears everything anyway, right. and he knows our thoughts and our feelings, so express them to him, right? Even if you are whining and grumbling, likely one of the better ways to get out of that is by including God in the conversation. So don't censor yourself when it comes to communicating with God. Don't let your inner theologian edit your prayers and words and strike out anything that might hmm. not conform with whatever system you subscribe to. Lay it all out before God. Listen to his listen for his response in prayer, in his word, in worship, etc. That's exactly what Habakkuk did. So it seems like um, that this time of the year, especially, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, that we should be thankful. And when you think about complaining, that's on the opposite side of being thankful. But maybe we don't feel thankful. And if that's the case, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, and so just to reiterate, I would say tell God, right? Talk, mm-hmm. to, talk to him about it. Start there. We, we have to start with who we are honestly in that moment. Larry Crabb calls it finding your red dot, you know, in, in the malls, and it used to be, you know, the red dot, you are oh, yeah. here on the map, right? Find your red dot. This is where I am, God. I'm angry at you. I'm disappointed. I feel like the victim, whatever. Start there. Don't end there, but start there and that's how we see lots of psalms work, right? They start with the problem and the complaint, and almost all of them, besides Psalm 88, end with some amount of hope and praise and thanksgiving. Um, so two sermons ago, what I said is, you know, our, our job is to try to fix our eyes to see, to, to really see all these gifts in our life and, and how they are ultimately from the giver, and then to build our lives on the giver. This sermon, right, I, I, I went in a different direction when it just seems like I can't see anything good. But both of the sermons end in the same place. Whether you feel thankful or not, the thing to do is come to Jesus, right? And that's the, that's the point of both. What, whatever we see going on in our lives, whether we think our lives are filled with uh, abundance and goodness or you know nothing but misery and emptiness, the point is you need to come to Jesus, Right, and that's as far as we're concerned. Right, that's the point of every passage in Scripture. So, what do we do if we don't feel thankful? Find a way to get to Jesus, and it starts with being honest about where you're, what you're feeling right now. And how is God going to respond to our laments? I mean, will He respond? Should we expect some sort of response from God if we come to Him with a complaint or a lament? Well, I mean, first I would say, you know, God has responded to our laments in the giving up of his son on the cross and raising him from the dead. By his spirit, God enables us to hear and believe that good news. So his primary response to us is giving us the ability to see and believe the good news, right? He's, he's given us new eyes. Well, he's opening the eyes of our hearts. 
now, after that, I think everyone's personal situation is unique in particular. Paul says in Romans 8 that God is using all things in our lives to make us like his son. And so, for me, that means training my eyes and heart to recognize how everything in my life can be a tool for making me glorious in Jesus. Right? And the Holy Spirit helps us do this, to see God responding to us in and through our circumstances. Now, the Holy Spirit can also simply communicate to us as we pray. I mean, sometimes when I pray, I just sense a response from God. Now, oftentimes it's not like directly uh, to what I'm asking, you know, say him saying yes or no or wait a little bit, but it's more of a redirection, right? Seeing things in a new light, getting a glimpse of what God might be doing in this particular area that I'm, I'm concerned about. Sometimes scripture or worship or a sermon, a beautiful moment, we can hear God responding specifically to us. And I've said this before, I'm sure you've heard it before, how, you know, someone will say, I loved when you said da-da-da-da-da in your sermon. And it's, you know, they're kind of close to what I said, but that's not what I said. Right. And it's right. like, that's that's my words and the Spirit using my words and scripture to, to impress upon them a truth that they needed to hear. Every once in a while, right, someone might have a, a crazy dream or a vision like Habakkuk had, um, but I would have to add that, that that does not rise to the level of revelation, right? None of these mm-hmm. are authoritative communications from God, like his word or sacraments, and the sacraments are, you know, the great physical, visible physical answer to our lament. Um, so Habakkuk received revelation in his vision because he was a prophet, and even if we received a vision, we couldn't write it down and say, this is the authoritative word of God. So whatever we think we are hearing from God has to conform to and be consistent with and subordinate to his word, Scripture. So God's primary response to us is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and all that he gives us in his word, and his spirit is working in us moment by moment, and will we be open to that work? Will we be led by the spirit? Will we be looking for the spirit to communicate to us? And I know we talked about this a few sermons ago with in during your your sermon in Galatians, but there there is sort of a sensitivity we need to have, right? If if God is not speaking in bold visions or bold dreams, uh, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a still small voice, yep. is there something that we need to do to actually be more attentive to that? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think the best thing that we can be doing is, you know, again, taking and using the this, this standard means of grace, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly prayer, um, particularly going into the Word, particularly the sacraments and worship, and, and, and what we're doing is we, we faithfully engage these things that God has given us uh, to hear from Him and to be ministered uh, to us by Him, right? And so we just consistently take these things up. Um, but, you know, we, we need to recognize that there are moments of silence from God, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he has said all he needs to say for now in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our job is to simply rest in that no matter what. And, and many believers throughout the centuries have talked about this season of silence that they've gone through, some calling it the dark night of the soul. Hmm. Right, so silence has its uses, and sometimes God is silent with us to draw us deeper into Him. But again, that silence isn't total. It can't be. God has said everything He needs to say hmm. through His Son Jesus. He is the final word, like Hebrews one talks about. So let's go back to Habakkuk and this this whole. You did an interpretive reading of chapter three, <laughs> yes. and it was, which was really good. I thought it was it was great. 
Um, and and you you focused on one word that you said was really important in this whole um, chapter, and that is the word yet. What is the significance of that word in this chapter? Man, I I just I love this word here, and yeah. you know yet suggests that Habakkuk has the ability to, in his his deepest darkness, his most hopelessness, least thankfulness, he has the ability to still turn and trust God, right? To say yet is to turn from sight to faith, right? Mm. You're saying, I only see bad things, yet I know the goodness of God, and that it will come in its appointed time in spite of everything I see, right? Yet is what we need in our moments of greatest pain, doubt, fear, temptation. It, it, it is one of the deepest and simplest expressions of real faith. And so I would, I, I would encourage people who are listening to try to use the Word uh, over the next week or two in, in mm. prayers, as you're thinking about things, like be, be uh, intentional about saying, yet, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then what do you say after that? You know, like what what can you say in response to the things that are sad, to the things that you're complaining about? What, what can you say? How can you preach the gospel to yourself? Hmm. Practice saying yet. And, you know, that's so much of what it is to even show up to worship and to take the sacrament and to, to pray when we don't feel like praying, right? So you can say that you know, that word yet it encapsulates so much of what it is to live by faith. Hmm. No, I love that. That's great. Um, so let's talk for just a, a minute here on Christology, uh, given the fact we'd like to get into theology in this podcast. <laughs> uh, so you said that that God the sufferer mm. is better than God the warrior, and I was immediately thinking of, you know, Christus Victor, Victor right? Victor, yeah. yeah. Uh, and God the sufferer is a little different than that. Why? Why is that better? Well, so, you know— you're right to say that, of course, we can picture God and Jesus as a warrior, mm-hmm. um, right? God is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Um, that's oftentimes how he is uh, addressed and spoken about in the Old Testament. God indeed is a warrior. Um, but what does the warrior do when his people he is trying to save are in league with the enemy, Right, mm. it's it's like we have the stock we have the Stockholm syndrome, you know, where we mm. we are <laughs> sympathetic to the people who are holding us hostage, right. um, or like human shields. Remember the first Gulf War in ninety uh, oh, one yeah. when you know Saddam Saddam Hussein supposedly you know was going to use these human shields, even mm-hmm. American POWs and other civilians, and he's going to place them in sensitive locations to keep us from bombing them. Right, right, and and what does a warrior do? when the enemy is surrounded and insulated by the people the warrior's trying to save. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to get on the inside, right? You have to defeat the enemy from within. You have to liberate the people from the inside, and that's why the warrior becomes the sufferer, right? Mm-hmm. The warrior becomes the prisoner and the slave. By suffering, imprisonment, slavery, death, the warrior is able to save all who desire it, all who are his. So in that sense, suffering is a brilliant tactic to defeat mm the enemy. Um, But it's also the way for us to trust the warrior, right? He knows us. He comes to our level. He enters our pain. So none of our suffering is lost or in vain, right? The psalmist even says that our tears are recorded in God's book. They're kept in a bottle by God. Not one tear is unaccounted for, right? How can God do that? Well, he does it by crying the same tears. Um, 
it's like you know someone who's been traumatized. You 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 can be away from the traumatic event. It can be in the past, but you're still traumatized by it. It yeah. lasts and continues to have power over us. Now, God not only ultimately rescues us from the traumatic event, uh, which all falls under slavery to sin, judgment, death. God gets traumatized himself to meet us hmm. in our traumatized state. And so I, I think for someone in the place of, of lamentation, uh, it can be more comforting to know that Jesus has suffered in similar and greater ways. God meets us in our sadness and overcomes it by suffering. And like I said in our Ephesians series, suffering is how to weaponize love. I mean, isn't it wonderful that the ultimate picture of our Savior is a willing sufferer rather mm. than a glorious, violent conqueror, right? Because what that means is instead of going uh, us going out, crusading to defeat our enemies here on earth, potentially even using aggressive violence, we willingly suffer by them and for them to bring them good news of a suffering God. That's how love conquers enemies. And so I, mm. I, I, I think that, you know, God is obviously a warrior. God is a king. God is a prophet and a priest. God is a sufferer. But I think the cross shows uh, is the ultimate revelation of God the Son uh, as sufferer. And you know, in in Revelation, right? What is Jesus called? The Lamb who was slain. Right. This this identifies who Jesus is, the sufferer. And I think it's incredibly um, comforting uh, for for us when we are lamenting, when we are complaining, when we don't feel like we have much to be thankful for. Yeah, in fact, during the Christmas season, we talk about the passages that, passages that say he was acquainted with our grief, right? Yes. He yes. can understand. So I'm curious, so you hang out with a bunch of atheists. It's one of your part-time fun I, things to do. I, I try. You try. <laughs> uh, so have you? what would they say about this notion that we worship a God that actually suffered. Is that would that be a, a a positive thing or be like a pitiful thing? I think that you know it there it it adds a little bit uh you know of the attraction right. I think mm-hmm. they, I think they get the emotional appeal of that. Um, what they don't like is this idea that his suffering uh, can somehow undo or make up for. Um, uh, all the other suffering in the world. Hmm. Um, so, so it's not just that one man suffers; it's that God suffers to the depths of hell on hmm. the cross, and and that's uh, something that has to be accepted by faith. Um, yeah. It's something that is 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 told to us and stated to us, um, but that's not something that you can get um, outside of a, a, a real acquaintance with the resurrected Lord Jesus, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that to me is one of the best answers to, uh, the problem of evil is that God takes responsibility, uh, for the evil in his creation by absorbing it himself on the cross and therefore, uh, can relate to and engage with anyone who is suffering. And 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 the response uh, from them is well that's just one person and that's just you know for mm. a few minutes or whatever else and that's not enough and you know so that, then we get we kind of get into the weeds but I think they mm. definitely recognize uh, the the emotional appeal of a suffering God they would also you know they they love to point out you know man if he's God he sure could have come up with a better system than this you know like right. why oh, why create something that then he has to come and and be tortured on a piece of wood for like this this just seems like a massive design flaw 
Yeah, it's, just, it's this the best of all possible worlds. Right, yeah. right. So, um, believe it or not, this season, many, many people are um, feeling down and hopeless. How could the cross bring hope during this season? Well, you know, this is a season of fear and suffering, right? I mean, we just watched uh, the governor talking about, you know, going back to some stay-at-home orders in the next few days. Um, it's a, it's a season of loneliness and disappointment, right? I mean, so many plans are changed. It's a, it's a season of dreams deferred or dreams dashed. Hmm. And that's exactly what the cross is, right? At the time to the neutral observer, anyone even mildly sympathetic to Jesus, the cross was such a disappointment, such a waste, the sadness, the fear, the disappointment felt by the losing side of these last two elections, 2016 and 2020, how both sides have felt mm-hmm. in terms of sadness, fear, disappointment, it doesn't even come close to the emotion that these people were feeling by seeing Jesus crucified on the cross. And we hear yeah. that disappointment in the disciples on the road to Emmaus, how they're explaining to the concealed Jesus, right? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Right? The cross was where right. Jesus was forsaken by God and his friends. It was a place of isolation, desolation, humiliation, excruciating pain. Right, And that word excruciating comes from the cross, the cross, crucifixion. Yes. Right. It is the darkest point of history, three days before the greatest morning in history. So the cross helps us recognize how things can go terribly wrong and be terribly disappointing and how... God enters into that, and it's important for us to recognize that just because Easter Sunday followed three days after the cross, it doesn't mean that because things are hard now, things are going to soon be better than ever. Mm -hmm. What it means is that even our greatest fears, even our worst nightmare scenarios, if they come to pass, they do not get the final word. There's always reason to hope, And, and I don't mean the kind of buying a lottery ticket, hoping I'll win hope, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. is a sure hope. Jesus has come. He has died. He has risen. He will come again. It is as sure as the dawn. And that's what the season of Advent is meant to teach us, right? As darkness grows and we long for God's arrival, we remember that God did come and are reassured that he is coming again. And, and we need that message more than ever, I think, this season. And the heart of that message is the cross. Yeah, and that's the kind of hope that we, we certainly do need is in, in these dark times to realize that Jesus did come and he will come back again. Indeed. Bob, thanks for your time uh, today. I really appreciate it. Sure. The title of Bob's sermon is A COVID Thanksgiving. You can listen to that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We'd love to have you join us this Sunday for in-person outdoor worship at 11 a.m. in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. But new county guidelines have reduced our capacity from 150 to 100 worshipers. So you have to sign up. Look for that sign-up email from one of our pastors. If you can't join us for in-person worship, we are live streaming our services on Facebook and YouTube, and you can always access the sermon after it's live streamed as well. If you're new to Grace, we would encourage you to visit our website at gracesouthbay.com and click on the connect button at the top. Fill out the connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. 
Despite the pandemic, we have a lot of stuff going on in our church, and we'd love to get you involved. We know that these are challenging times. Grace's pastors, elders, and leaders are on duty, so let us know how we can care for you. We'll be back next week for another episode of the GSB Podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.